0: Whenever the topic of food insecurity may arise, our thoughts have the tendency to stimulate images of the homeless or to those who live on the streets. Although they do have their daily food challenges, in this case, it is the food insecurity faced by low-income families and neighborhoods with limited fresh food access and food deserts. Greetings again. I'm Adam Morgan. Food insecurity is a situation that was taking place long before COVID-19, which the pandemic exacerbated. The Denver Department of Public Health and Environment has put into place programs and a food action plan that focuses on food access. From food access for youth and low-income families to emergency food assistance, the city's programs with their partners are working diligently toward reducing the community level of food insecurity. With us on this edition is the program administrator for Denver's Good Food Purchasing Program, Ms. Marion Kalb.
1: And about 80% of the people that are food insecure are people that are working, sometimes multiple jobs, uh, that are being paid a minimum wage and having a hard time making ends meet. Uh, We also uh, serve veterans as well as uh, disabled folks. And so really that's about 80% of the population that is food insecure.
0: So they're all having problems finding uh, fresh food or maybe residing in areas where they're not supermarkets or food stores?
1: Yes, it could be a number of different things. Uh, You know, it could be a lack of resources and being able to afford food. It could be living in a place where it's just difficult to get to a grocery store uh, given a, a physical limitation. Uh, it could um, it could be having difficulty even navigating, for example, applying for WIC or SNAP, uh, or or being able to afford those foods that are uh, fresh fruits and vegetables that we know tend to be a little bit more expensive. So I think all of those things really come into play.
0: When you talk about changing community food environments, what does that mean?
1: Mm, that's a good question. When we talk about a community food environment, we're really looking at a neighborhood or a community as a whole and trying to see what's there relating to food. Is there a grocery store, a farmer's market, a community garden? Is there a food pantry to serve those in need? Uh, And so when we look at that food environment, we see what's there, and then we also try to see what's missing. And We do have a program that uh, tries to work within these communities and talk to different nonprofit organizations and churches and anti-hunger groups to say, what is it that you need? What would help you feed uh, more people good, healthy, nutritious food? And how can we support you in that?
0: So community gardens have taken on a real significance And the uh, food environments thing, because a lot of people think that, you know, they're they're doing a a garden. It's more of a hobby. It's something, you know, that that they can do. But actually, it's becoming a more important part of the environment or the food system itself then.
1: It is. And uh, through this program, we have been able to fund some community gardens uh, as well. And we know that also specifically for immigrant groups coming to this country that have more of an agricultural base, uh, that they are very much interested in having community garden plots to grow foods that are familiar to them. So uh, we, we definitely encourage and support uh, the development and continuation of community gardens.
0: Now, you mentioned immigrants when they are coming, they have a more agrarian base. Are they understanding the way the food environment works here and what they need to do to fit better into it?
1: Yes, I think that it can sometimes be difficult if you, particularly, come into an area where the customs and and the food is is something that's really different, and yeah. so there are some organizations that work specifically with uh, with particular groups. Um, I know that there is a program for Somali refugees mm-hmm. in uh, be able being able to grow food that is familiar to them Uh, and we even have an organization that we fund that works with folks that are coming in over the border that have been in ICE detention and when they come out they have no resources at all and so they help set them up and help provide them with food and uh, that is absolutely one of the basic things that they need when they come out of an ICE detention center.
0: When you're creating a unified food system, I thought it was already, like a lot of people, the producers, distributors, retailers. Is that what we're talking about when we say a, a unified food system, or is there more than that?
1: Uh, I would say a little of both. The, the food system itself, we really define as everything from planting a seed in the ground and preparing the soil to looking at food waste and uh, how do we responsibly deal with food waste? And so you're right, it takes into account the farmers, the farm workers, processors, distributors, and everybody along along that, uh, that chain. And what we find is that sometimes the food system doesn't treat everybody equally. Farmers don't always receive a fair price for, uh, for what it is that they're growing. Uh, we want to ensure that you know farm workers are are well taken care of, and we want to make sure that you know consumers are getting the product that they want at a price they can afford. And with something for example like Covid nineteen, we saw how uh, difficult it can be uh, to work within a food system that in some ways is very regimented and uh, very strategic in what and how it produces and distributes. And we saw that not only for Uh, food businesses on a large scale. But we really saw that with local farmers, because many of them depend on restaurants for their livelihood. And without those restaurants, we found a huge shift in different ways that uh, these farmers had to to do in order to sell their products.
0: That's one of those impacts of COVID-19 that I guess the general public didn't even think about there. You know, we think about what our families have to do and that kind of thing. But uh the restaurants not being there it has a real major uh impact
1: yes it 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 really does and uh what we saw that we thought was really positive is producers reaching out directly to consumers and so they began developing online platforms began ordering being able to do uh being able to do mail order uh with their products uh we saw you know online farmers markets where people could come by and pick up an order and um, we actually have seen some of that continuing past COVID-19. So we we see that as a good development.
0: Yeah, that is for sure, for sure. Now, you have an emergency food relief fund that you put together for uh, people who have emergencies, if there's a weather problem. and
1: Well, what we have is the Denver Emergency Food Relief Fund within the city of Denver that was created for uh, victims of of COVID-19, those that fell ill, those that were laid off because of their jobs, Mm -hmm. those that couldn't go out of their house uh, for fear of catching the virus. And so we developed this fund with federal CARES Act dollars. It was about $3.2 million going out to over 50 different organizations in order to provide food to those that needed it. And Really, what we saw during COVID-19 was our food insecurity rate rising from 11% to about 33%. So that means basically that one in three people didn't have enough food to make it through the month or uh, yeah. skipping meals so that others could eat. Uh, so it, it, it's had a pretty drastic effect. You know, we do work with farms around the state that bring product into the city of Denver. So, you know, mm-hmm. you, you made a connection there.
0: So are they a part of the partners that you're talking about which help you, uh, which help the system work uh, when you're doing your purchasing? That's the partners you're talking about, or does that also include distribution groups, too, who get food to people?
1: Yes, it absolutely does. So it does include farms, uh, everyone from working locally with Denver Urban Farms. Uh, such as Sprout City Farms, Frontline Farming, uh, Mile High Farmers, and then we also work with growers in the San Luis Valley that produce quinoa and potatoes, uh, as well as the Colorado Beef Council, and trying to bring high-quality beef into into different institutions within the Denver metro area, so uh, farms and farmers and ranchers and distributors are very much uh, uh, partners with us in this in this uh,
0: work. So that's something you have to keep track of as a food purchaser is what's going on on the farms. Are they having a good crop? Are they not? Is distribution okay?
1: Uh, It it is a lot to a lot to keep track of. But the the good news is we are not the direct purchaser. Uh, We are connecting Uh, farms either to food pantries or to, Mm -hmm. uh, we have one program called the Good Food Purchasing Program, where uh, we basically ask agencies to put their public dollars where the city public values are uh, and to purchase from suppliers that support local businesses, that have environmentally sustainable policies, that treat their workforce well, from ranchers that are concerned about animal welfare, and to be concerned about nutrition and community health. And so we have uh, a number of partners there as well that are suppliers as well as different nonprofit organizations that help us connect up with these folks and support uh, these values that we think are also important to community members.
0: Yeah, you've talked about healthy food there. I've heard the uh, debate's been back and forth about kids and healthy eating and healthy food for kids and I think there's one that's going on now in the schools, saying, well, we got to give kids what they want, and, you know, which is a whole bunch of Cheetos and that kind of thing. <laughs> and then it swings well, back the other way when uh, yeah. when Michelle Obama was there saying, no, 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 we got to give them fruits and vegetables and that kind of stuff. In your program, what's the emphasis there on, on healthy food for kids?
1: We definitely have an emphasis on on healthy food. Yeah. But we also know that in some ways, uh, you know, when when someone that doesn't have food is trying to access it uh, and food pantries are trying to get, you know, whatever food products they can, and we certainly understand that. Uh, but we do want to emphasize uh, healthy food, um, food that's from um, local farms as well. And we actually have an initiative called Healthy Food for Denver Kids, that was created from a citizen-led ballot. Yeah. And it's funded through a sales tax increase, mm-hmm. which ends up being about a penny on a $10 purchase. And the primary goal is to feed hungry kids in Denver.
0: And one of the recent community conversations that school superintendents had, one of the mothers said, we need the kids to go back to school so they could have uh, breakfast and their lunch. And I uh, didn't think about that when that, because the kids were learning remotely they weren't eating well. Did you find that too?
1: Yes, absolutely. That's absolutely right. And I think that Denver Public Schools did really just a stellar job in trying to take food out to students. They used bus drivers. uh, They found various dropout sites around the city in order to make sure that all kids had uh, the food that they needed, uh, particularly Uh, those that were part of the free breakfast and free lunch program. Um, I can also say that the Denver Public Schools has a couple of different really cool initiatives happening, and they've been funded through Healthy Food for Denver Kids. Um, They're building a greenhouse so that they can put more fresh fruits and vegetables into their school meals, and they're also bringing in chefs to help improve their menus and put together uh, meals that are attractive to kids. So uh, I, I think they're really trying here to do the best they can with kids' meals.
0: So Denver Public Schools plays a real critical part in uh, in action planning and getting kids fed well then, it was, well, not, it was fed as well as possible.
1: Yes, they do. Uh, we have about uh, two-thirds of the children that attend Denver Public Schools qualify for that free meal program. So yeah. Uh, they play a, a key role in providing nutrition and and good food uh, for kids. And, and I, I should just throw in there, as part of the Good Food Purchasing Program, they've come out already as uh, excelling and exceeding the nutrition baseline requirement. So uh, they really are doing a good job.
0: We also always hear that, uh, well, you know, uh, America probably doesn't have enough food. But on the other hand, we hear that America has way enough food, but it's just getting it to the right people. What's the, what's the story there that you have found?
1: Well, I think that, uh, you know, there, we do grow uh, quite a bit of food here in America. Quite a bit of it gets exported as well. And so what we really try to focus on is when we look at communities what is it that they need? Are grocery stores serving a purpose? Are there other ways that, uh, that folks can uh, access food locally? And it's, it's really by working with all the different tools that we have available, including food stamps, including the Women and Infant Children Program. Um, all of the growing food programs. We look at all of those to make sure that communities have enough food.
0: Our subject on this edition is food insecurity and the systems the City of Denver has initiated to address the problem. Our guest is Ms. Marion Cowell, Program Administrator for Denver's Good Food Purchasing Program. We will gain additional insight regarding Denver's food action plan with her on our next edition. I'm Adam Morgan. Do keep in touch. Mask up and keep your distance when going out. Grab that vaccine for health and more freedom. And we do appreciate you sharing a few moments of your weekend with us.